Welcome to That's Orgasmic, a podcast discussing the orgasmic and not-so-orgasmic moments of all things sex, relationships, and mental health. I am your host, Emily Duncan, and I'm a sexologist who provides online sex coaching sessions to help you cultivate sexual wellness. Today, I'm joined with Samantha Manovsky, who is an intimacy and relationship coach and educator from Wandering Love. So welcome to That's Orgasmic. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. I'm so excited to be here. So I want to discuss relationships and dating today. I love talking about this stuff, um, especially at the moment because I've been dating so much the past like 12 months. And I yeah, just want to jump straight into it and just hit you with a question straight away. What do you think about like people's current expectations of romantic relationships and I guess today's like dating climate? Oh, this is something that I've had to deal with myself with my own expectations of romantic relationships. Um, so, you know, I studied coaching and I deep dived into relationships and intimacy several years ago and I realized how much of what I've learned has come from my environment from, you know, social expectations from Hollywood, TV shows, movies, teachers, parents, like my environment has heavily influenced um, my expectations of romantic relationships. So I've had like the full spectrum of what it means to romanticize relationships. And like, you know, I just did a reel today about the movie he's just not that into you and you know that movie was such a great movie because it it made me realize how much I had been fantasizing but it also gave me this extra bit of hope of like oh I want to be the exception to the rule you know and 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 then having that kind of side of the spectrum where Hollywood promises this beautiful love story and happily ever after which I know that this is influencing other people's relationship expectations as well it's not just my own um to then seeing and observing relationships around me with my friends and how they show up and then, you know, with my family and their expectations, like death till death do us part mm. um, or like, you know, the, mer- the, the the passion dies and the intimacy dies and like the chemistry dies and it gets boring and beige, like all these narratives and these belief systems are influencing our expectations of relationships and what happens when we have these expectations in relationships is that we tend to find ourselves feeling quite disappointed because we're not met in those expectations it's like oh well you're supposed to chase after me when I run away or when I reject you because that's what happens in the movies or you're supposed to stick through all the shit times and when we are incompatible and when we just because we've been married so we need to get through it and like till death do us part and then you know there's like all of these I guess rules of engagement and I just think that it's total bs (laughs) basically a hundred percent I think that like Every relationship is different and I think that we need to really like let go of these expectations and really look at experimenting with what works for us. That's what I think about these current expectations. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And a hundred percent I can see that's when having, you know, like relationship intimacy coaches can come in and help you break down these ideas and beliefs that we're holding on to 
and then you know move forward in relationships because mm. like I've seen it myself I feel like I've been able to identify I guess the what I've kind of held on to and like I've definitely been one to like put up with shit because it's like oh no like you know I romanticize it and think oh it's gonna get better you know mm. or if I just do this or that it will you know it'll work but I know especially dating other people I think especially having done sexology and stuff like even just like relationship dynamics and like non-monogamy things like that like I'm so open-minded and real also kind of feel realistic like the as you said the till death do us part mm-hmm. I'm like it's not necessarily it's not healthy mm-hmm. or realistic to really hold on to that um and I've found that whenever I have those conversations sometimes with people that I'm dating it's like a oh a wall goes up like oh no mm-hmm. like we, we can't have a relationship that looks different to what I've been told how it should look. And that really sucks when we have that belief system. Yeah, it really sucks. Then we feel shame and guilt for having a relationship that is different. You know, it might be working, mm-hmm. but then like what can happen is that what I've observed, what I've noticed not just within myself but with those around me and my clients and, and people I've worked with is that like that – shame and guilt that the relationship isn't what it should be it like it's like almost like oh I need to actually pick at something now I need to make this wrong even though it's working you know like I'm, I'm trying to I don't know, create drama just for the sake of feeling drama because that's what's normal. And it's all happening unconsciously mm-hmm. as well. Like people are not aware of it. They don't know that they're doing this. Like I didn't know I was mm-hmm. doing it when I was doing it back in the day. No, 100% it's not to you do the work and then you look back and like, oh, I was I was doing that. Or yeah, yeah. especially like attachment styles and stuff like that too. Yeah. Um, that's been funny, especially because like I've been dating, as I said, like the past 12 months, like going on a lot of first dates and things and trying to, you know, get out there. And like, I just didn't realize how insecurely attached I was <laughs> and how much, you know, you could just swing from like the avoidant to anxious and different things. And I just was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, there's so much work to be done here. Um, mm. but I'm glad I have the awareness because so many people don't. And then they just, you know, begin dating and start I guess I don't know what the correct word would be but start I guess on more unstable grounds or have these like um unhealthy like relationship patterns and stuff Mm. yeah I think awareness is the first step um I've just been re-recording one of my programs and I have just finished recording the two modules on attachment theory because I'm doing like one on insecure attachment and then one on secure attachment because they're just such big subjects. Like I could do a whole program on attachment theory. Um, Yeah. But then there's just like so much to learn around intimacy that's beyond attachment. Um, But yeah, like awareness is the first step because then we can educate our partners in what triggers us into insecurity and then with that awareness you know that's how we evolve together because you know when I go to my partner and I say to them hey you know when you get really needy or when you become emotionally unstable or intense with your emotion that activates the uh, that activates the avoidant in me and it actually I feel like running away and I feel smothered and I feel this way and it creates a sense of hyper-independence. And I, I just want you to be aware that this is how I'm feeling. It doesn't mean that I love you any less or that I don't want to be with you. It's just a process I'm going through. And it's not only about like having the awareness within yourself, but it's like bringing that forward into the relationship. It's, you know, you're, 
you're learning to, well, for me, like learning to lean into the connection and, and create and cultivate safe, secure attachment and safety um, by naming the thing, but then also like working together in orientating towards secure attachment. I don't know if that's like mm. relevant, yeah. but. No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Um, and honestly, I haven't really talked too much on, on attachment on the podcast, like kind of just in passing where I'm like, oh, you know, avoid and anxious or like secure. Um would you be able to like quickly explain, I guess, the attachment styles, if you can roll that off the top of your head, it's fresh. Um, just in case anyone's <laughs> listening and doesn't know what we're actually talking about? Mm-hmm. Yes, I can. It is so fresh in my mind because, as I said, just finished recording. So, okay, insecure <laughs> attachment, we have uh, anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, and those who have experienced significant trauma have disorganized attachment, which I will touch on. And then we have secure attachment. And so essentially what attachment theory speaks into is the early childhood imprinting um, that we experienced in infancy from the the love that we received and the care that we received from our caregivers. So those who have an anxious attachment predominantly and foundationally have a fear of abandonment. And so the the strategies or the characteristics and the symptoms of insecure, anxious attachment are things like emotional intensity, um, clinginess, neediness, feeling the anxiety and anxiousness. And um, the anxious attached person will essentially push people away. So what they learned as a child is that when I cry and when I need something, the louder I cry, that's when my caregiver shows up and gives me that love and attention that I need. Um, the avoidant is the opposite side of the spectrum. So the avoidant is hyper-independent, really struggles with emotions, does not like to like even go there with emotions, um, can be nitpicky. That's a strategy. They nitpick their partner because they uh, fear intimacy And so they reject before there's an opportunity of them being rejected. And they essentially learned this from a caregiver, like not showing up when they were crying. So, you know, let this is those of us in the generation where like our parents were like, oh, you just need to self-soothe, cry it out, let them cry it out. So the more that they cried, no one showed up. The more that they cried, no one showed up. Then when, you know, so they they were silent that's when you know the caregiver presented and so that's how they developed that strategy put these two people in a relationship and you have a push-pull dynamic so someone who's anxious and clingy mm-hmm. and needy will be attracted to somebody who's uh, avoidant because they're not showing up so they're trying to cry louder and louder and r- louder and that emotional intensity actually suffocates and puts off the avoidance so they pull away Um, Now, the disorganized person is both. So they have had like inconsistent, inconsistency growing up in their early, early childhood years. Um, They are erratic. They've got severe mood swings. They're like, you know, either feeling really emotionally unavailable or like too emotionally available. Um, So yeah, it's really important to have awareness around these pieces and it does take like maybe two to five years to repattern and train the nervous system to become secure. It's not impossible um, and it does take a lot of time, effort, energy, um, 
you know, partnership, teamwork to become secure. And so what securely attached people, what that looks like is like having a balance of autonomy, having a balance of independence with um, companionship and union. And there's there's like a, a sense of safety and stability and security in the relationship. Um, there's a regulation of the nervous system. So what that means is that you're not feeling triggered or you're not feeling thrown off center when you haven't heard from your partner or when they're showing up with emotions. You're, you're staying centered. You're able to feel calm in that connection. Um, another like people who are in an, an insecure connection will feel a lot of lust and a lot of like dysregulation mm-hmm. through like the butterflies and the f- racing heartbeat and the like you know the the really intense sensory experience so I think that is a really solid recap a little bit longer than a short one <laughs> but I hope that answers your question no absolutely that was really good because um I don't think I've actually properly explained it on the podcast before which as I said come up in passing and I think it's very useful for people mm. um, to hear because often you some you will resonate with one or the other, um, and I know I found it so useful in my dating. So I remember when I first started dating, I was so avoidant, and then I had somebody who was so avoidant themselves that all of a sudden it activated this anxious attachment that I didn't even realize was there, and like went so up and down for a few years, and then went when I had someone secure put it in front of me, the avoidant came back out and I was like, oh, I forgot that was there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's hard, especially when you have someone secure put in front of you. I feel like that's almost the hardest type of dating because you have to actually like sit with yourself mm. and you have all of this shit coming up. You kind of feel bored because you're like, oh, like there's, where's, as you said, like the butterflies, the excitement, the why don't I, you know, feel anxious about am I going to see them again mm. because they're showing up and being present and, like, the past couple of months I've been dating someone who's so securely attached and it has been the hardest part of all the dating I've done mm. um, and I've had to work through that with, like, my psych so much because I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like, I just want to run but I know because I've done all this other work, don't do that, <laughs> don't, don't mm. do that. But like it's um it's such a just such a new experience. Yeah. And I think you hit on a really key point there that like sometimes securely secure attachment can can feel boring. However, beneath that, right? And oh, I'm getting full body chills just filling into what I'm about to say. Um, okay, so the the misconception that people have about secure mm. attachment is this idea that it is boring. However, what is beneath that sense of safety and security and that cool, calm and collected feeling, you know, that, that sensory, the par- the parasympathetic nervous system activation, like that is naturally calm. Um, and I know I'm speaking big words here. Beneath that is a love and intimacy that is so ecstatic and so euphoric and so pleasurable and so intense in its own healthy version of intensity that it's like beyond anything that anyone will ever experience in an insecurely attached relationship and it 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 because of the body is feeling so regulated and so calm, 
it's easy to confuse that with boredom because it's a reference Mm -hmm. point, you know, being calm. Mm -hmm. We have a reference point of that to be boring, but it's, it's so not a love. So sublime is available in the securely attached relationship. Mm, Absolutely. I feel like I'm definitely in that process now of stepping into that. Mm. Um, Thank God. Thank God. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm yeah, I'm glad we brought up the attachments. I think that like it will, people will definitely like resonate with that. Um I guess going back to like relationships and what are some like common stakes that you'll like you've seen like with clients, um, or like just with the work that you do that people will make in relationships? Mm. Obviously there's a lot, of, but it's Emily here with a quick interruption. When was the last time you took care of your wrinkly starburst, your peach, your butthole? If you are somebody who has a butt, loves to play with butts, or experiences any butt discomfort, then Happy Holes products are just for you. With their after-anal cooling cream or sore butt soothing balm, there is something to make your butt feel good. It's time to stop feeling shame around our butts and go check out Happy Holes products and informative website at www.happyhole.com.au or via the link in the show notes. That's all for me, so enjoy the rest of today's episode. I'll tell you what, like my discovery calls lately have been like cookie cutter calls where every single conversation I have with people is just the same story. Now, I want to reference heteronormative relationships because that's the majority of people on this planet are in heterosexual relationships. So some of the common mistakes and and I'm a queer person, I'm not straight, but I do know more about heterosexual relationships than, you know, we're still kind of like evolving in the queer world and understanding what it's like to be in same-sex relationships or non-binary and all the things like yeah so okay this Mm. is the cookie cutter mistake men essentially provide and protect it's a it's a very um ancient way of being and it's a biological scientifically backed behavior like something that Alison Armstrong teaches and she's studied men for over 30 years something that she teaches is that like as human beings we haven't evolved much since 10,000 years ago that was our last like that's when we became homo sapiens so we do still have a lot of like primal aspects of ourselves that are hunter gatherer characteristics and our biology influences us significantly with that. So we have a bunch of hormones, like male-bodied people have, you know, testosterone and different hormones to female-bodied people, which influences our behavior and the way that we show up in relationships. The cookie-cutter mistake that I have experienced with people is that men think that they're showing up in the relationship by providing and protecting and that is like going out there making the money being the breadwinners this is traditional relationship roles however no matter what happens we're still going to experience traditional things come up because men cannot carry children men cannot give birth to children and there Mm -hmm. are women out there who do go back into the workforce and there are relationships out there where you know the dad plays a stay-at-home dad and that's fine but what I'm speaking to is that 
mum becomes mum and she's at home with the kids and she's drained and she's exhausted because her hormones are all out of balance because she's just had a baby. He's at her, he's at work all day long. She's at home losing her mind with the kids, losing herself. Um, and then, you know, when he comes home, she wants emotional connection. She wants to be experiencing quality time. And then when she doesn't get that, the resentment builds up because he's feeling exhausted from work and just needs to chill out. And what I've observed is the biggest mistake is having an expectation that your partner is going to think and feel and be the same as you. So men enter these relationships thinking that like, why can't she understand that I'm providing and protecting the family, that I'm, you know, bringing the money and making all of these sacrifices so that the family is safe and secure and she's at home thinking why can't he just be there for me can't he understand how hard it is to be a mum and how hard it is to be a parent and how hard it is to do this all day every day and then when she expects that he comes home and and offers that emotional support or is there for the family and he, he doesn't show up like it's just this like thing that I see happen time and time again I've had women cry to me about this problem and I've had men feel very frustrated about like not feeling appreciated and yeah, the, the, the biggest mistake and I believe the biggest killer of intimacy is resentment and resentment Mm -hmm. comes from feeling an injustice and then feeling that bitterness towards your partner because of that injustice. So as long as we compare our behavior and attach an expectation and project that behavior onto our partners. And what I mean by that is like, I expect my partner to behave the same way I do because that's what I know love to be because that's what I would do. That's what's going to create resentment because we're never going to be met Mm -hmm. equally. We need to celebrate our differences and work together as a team and understand that there's some things that our partners are strong in and there's some things that we have strengths in and weaknesses and and so on. And when we can Mm -hmm. support each other in that way, that is what's going to kill that resentment and help grow the intimacy in the relationship. Yeah, I love everything you just said there um, because I think a lot of people will relate to that, especially if they're dating in like, you know, stereotypical heteronormative relationships. Um, And because we're not really taught how to, one, navigate that, but also how to like navigate when somebody shows love in a different way to how you do Mm. because often people just think oh well this is how I show my love Mm. that's how they should do the same back for me or I should receive it in the same way and Mm. um don't they don't really have those conversations around how they can um you know show up for the partner in the way that I guess they need if that makes sense definitely um I guess for overcoming that is it really just like communication talking about this like I guess issue itself yeah like any time you make an assumption in your relationship where you assume the intention of your partner where you assume that your partner knows what you need and want you know when you assume and say things to yourself like I shouldn't have to ask I shouldn't have to say it like they should just know those things, that lack of communication because of the assumption that you have made that they can read your mind, that is what's going to impact the relationship the most. Yeah, People have a really hard time connecting in what, with what they want, need and desire and ex- asking for it, especially women. Like we're just like, mm. oh, because we have – because we're naturally nurturing, because we're naturally attuned to our environment, because we're naturally able to read the room and we're able to, like, 
hone in on certain things. We expect that our partners do the same. And, and that, that creates a huge, um, disconnect you know like when we can learn how to be authentic in our communication and ask for what we need in a very direct way instead of like you know roundabout questions like what do you think about going to dinner it's like just say that you want to go to dinner and you want to eat Thai food and that's what you want Mm -hmm. you know let's go to Thai I want to have dinner here like expressing that need and desire instead of tiptoeing around that um, it's yeah, a absolutely. it's a challenge and it's so unconscious like we don't even know that we're doing it mm-hmm. I know and like I hear so many people all the time literally just dancing around what they want mm. you know suggesting I've heard an example the other day I was thinking of my hairdresser telling me that like they really wanted to go to this restaurant in Melbourne mm. but instead of just asking or just saying let's go here they were like oh look at this place like trying to get it to make their partner feel like they were making the decision mm. because that's what they wanted instead of just saying let's go here I want to go here yeah yeah because it's mm. vulnerable because we have a fear of rejection we have a fear that we're not going to be met in that so we protect ourselves by tiptoeing around what we want need and desire um, because the fear of rejection is overpowering us again, self, very subconscious, very, you know, hidden in the, we're not aware that we're doing this. Um, mm. these are coping mechanisms that we've developed because somewhere along the way in our childhood, we were rejected for asking for what we need and want. Um, and unfortunately we have not evolved enough to push past tribal consciousness, to push past that need to belong. That is a primary need as a human to belong to the tribe. Mm. And any threat mm. of that belonging is going to overpower the way that we communicate. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. And it's so hard in today's society when I feel like, especially Western society, we're so individualized and disconnected from community. And that, like, obviously it's not the same for everybody, but it's very much need to be strong and independent on your own and not need anybody else but obviously our instincts say otherwise um so it's so hard to navigate yeah Jung talks about this I don't know if you did you learn much about Jung in your degree no yeah I I know that psychology doesn't really like degrees don't really focus a lot on Jungian um sort of stuff I've done like a lot of study of his work and he so he's the way that he talks about um the psyche is that there's like a collective unconscious and this collective unconscious is something that we have all been imprinted with or that we've all learned from a very young age and with that collective unconscious these sorts of things play out so this collective unconscious paradigm narrative of relationships is something that we've all learned collectively and what Jung was teaching or studying and exploring was this individuation process which is having the awareness of like what's yours and what isn't and building your own consciousness and your own individual um, truthful, authentic version of that and becoming aware of the unconscious behaviors and patterns of behavior and bringing them into your conscious awareness so that when you are relating, well, this isn't, this is more about how I've integrated in my work, 
Mm. so that when we are relating we're relating from a really conscious and self-aware space and we're not just Mm -hmm. taking on somebody else's belief system and then believe you know like men need to be Mm -hmm. the breadwinners of the family like that's a collective unconscious belief system and I, if I have that playing out in what he calls a shadow or in my unconscious, then I'm going to be projecting on my partner and expecting on them to be the breadwinner of the family or to show up in a particular way. And that's what creates mm. that, like, disconnect. I don't know if that's making sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. No, absolutely. Are you finding that more people, I think just like with like resources out there, podcasts, things like that, are showing up with more self-awareness now? Yeah. A hundred percent. Like I had a 20 year old young girl message me today about like work that I do. And she was like, I want to, I want to like, what can I learn? And what sort of stories do you, cause I was like asking my audience, what do you want to hear from me? And she was like, I want to know about your early relationships. And then she just sent me this message about like her, how she's avoiding attached. And I'm like, what the fuck? How are you 20? And you know, all this shit. Like, I wish I had that awareness. Mm-hmm. Like we're so, lucky you know when I first had like when I got my first iPhone I was 18 so I didn't have access to information like generate like the the people of the 20 year olds Mm. today do Mm. you know like there's so much information available out there um and sourcing that is really important (laughs) um but yeah I'm I'm noticing a huge shift in younger generations and the awareness is just like insane Mm, yeah absolutely and because like obviously I'm part of that yeah like that younger generation and I have seen it myself even like yeah the conversations we my friends have the knowledge we have about this stuff and like what we're talking about and then I look at my parents for instance and like it's so different like I like yeah it's almost frustrating (laughs) especially once you start to have it it's like oh my god why is everybody not actively trying to pursue this information or improve their lives in this way Uh, but then sometimes it's kind of hard because I feel like there's also an overload of information because we can access everything Mm. all at once if we want to Um, and it can be quite overwhelming I guess when it's not in a container or you're not like working with somebody on it and you're just picking this information and applying it and I still see that all over social media like uh, even on TikTok everyone being like they're a narcissist they're this and that and using these really big strong words but not understanding the actual meaning of that yeah and I think that it's so complex like understanding the psyche we're learning from people who were studying this shit like a hundred years ago you know I know that there's yeah you know your psychology degrees and whatnot have actually evolved and I know that there's new information coming out but we're we still don't know it's still so old it's so old and we still don't know a bunch of shit like I mean I think that it's really ignorant to assume that we know, you know, and I and I mm-hmm. have I had this feeling the other week where I was just like like you know, who am, you know, I'm a coach and I can support people and 100% like I have skills and strategies and all that sort of stuff, but like who am I to tell somebody or a therapist or whatever like who are we to 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 tell anybody about what they're experiencing, you know, like every single person has the opportunity to get to know themselves in a deeply intimate way and there's people like you and I out there who are guiding them back to themselves and even then we still don't know a whole bunch of shit (laughs) you know like Mm -hmm. we're so limited with what we know because of yeah yeah 
Yeah, I feel like it's one of those things that once you get into it, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, that it's hard. I found myself even going down like spirals of even just like there's so much out there and it's like that imposter syndrome as well because oh. it's just like how am I, you know, meant to talk about all these things. But even what you said before, like the stuff we're learning, like even in my psych degree mm. and the sexology degree, like mm. it was so outdated. Mm. It was all – and it's all things that have been tested on like basically only men from literally 100 years ago oh my god and it's like it's just not relevant like it's it's so frustrating and research is so far behind and especially being in the sexology space there's no fucking research like there's just none yeah and again like you said the whole testing on men and like the studies of men like compared to women like we're so different I actually really liked these books that I read by um I can't remember her name it's like Luann something one's called the male brain and one's called the female brain and it's more recent research Mm -hmm. into the way hormones impact like it was like a it was from infancy to being elder like studying the life span of a male bodied human and a female bodied human and I learned so much from that more from that than I did my coaching certification you know Mm -hmm. or because it's relevant it's relevant to now like I need to know what a young boy is thinking and feeling and experiencing compared to a young girl so that I can help my clients better parent their children Mm -hmm. um so that we don't repeat these patterns and traumas in relationships Mm -hmm. like that's Mm -hmm. you know that's a very specific thing to learn and they've done like more recent studies and Mm. Yeah, I feel the challenges and the limitations, but then I also see the beauty in all of that because it's there's still relevant and valid stuff that you would have learned in your degree that oh you yeah can apply. absolutely yeah mm, yeah absolutely I guess um, I just I with technology nowadays and the access to information like the books and things that we can read you can then reflect and be like oh we're so far behind in degrees and obviously degrees take so long to build and Mm. by the time they get all the content and put it all together to then you know go back and rewrite it when Mm. the world's evolving so quickly um so yeah and like obviously in spaces that we are never going to stop learning ever and the other thing is is that like there's a whole process like the, the the legalities and the process of like allowing certain information to be approved to be taught at these universities absolutely that takes time and then by the time they get approved and they're all you know it's something new has been discovered so I think that like yeah having a balanced approach and a holistic approach to learning is really important um now I would love to go back kind of backtrack to relationships again Um, because one question I did want to ask you is how we can better navigate conflict because obviously we can't avoid conflict in relationships conflict's honestly important in relationships we learn so much from it how can we I guess be better in our conflict this is what I love to talk about because something that you know I don't like to sell this false idea that relationships can be like just pleasure and play and everything's amazing and all the problems go away like that is such an untruth there's nothing true about that conflict is healthy we need conflict to grow it's what what I've learned and what I teach is that the problems do not go away it's how we navigate those problems that change 
So we can either navigate problems and conflicts with dysregulated nervous systems, with anger and rage and frustration and hurt and pain and projections and like throwing shit at each other and, you know, hoping to grow flowers. But really we're just like completely creating like a shit show relationship that's just full of drama. Or we can address conflict in a way that is respectful that is open, that is honoring your partner and their perspective, that is cultivating and creating understanding, that is self-aware and also aware of other. Um, And so one thing that I like to teach is this process where it's it's a very simple process. I call it the harmony method. It's like a four-step process. Um, Essentially, you start off with feeling the trigger and feeling the emotion and taking a step back, taking a breather and really looking inwards at what it is that you're feeling triggered by um, and acknowledging what is true and what isn't. So what's yours and what isn't. And that emotional responsibility, when you can um, um, emotionally regulate, that is a really great place to start off with and to, to, to work from. Then coming back to the conversation and using I statements a lot of the time people like to come to the conversation and be like you did this you did that blaming Mm -hmm. victimizing themselves that doesn't really lead to anywhere healthy and it doesn't really lead to anywhere Mm -hmm. supportive of the relationship so what I like to teach is that you own what you're feeling like I feel unheard I feel unseen I feel disappointed I feel let down I feel misunderstood I feel hurt that you know, you know, I feel a desire to spend more time together. I, f- whatever that it is, but using I statements is really important. Um, active and reflective listening is another, like that's really important. So active listening is like listening to what that person, what your partner is sharing with you without getting lost in the story of your like defense defenses sometimes we do that sometimes we have a conversation and they say something and then we're just like that's not right that's wrong and then we start looking for the story attached to that actively Mm -hmm. listening is just like tuning into what they're saying and trying to better understand them and a really great way to to listen better is to reflect reflectively listen so what that means is like hearing what your partner has to say and then repeating back to them what you've heard and, and using their language or paraphrasing and saying things like, let me, have I understood this correctly? Like, is, is this what you mean when you say that? Because this is how I understand it and this is what, how I've perceived it. Um, and that is going to create that sense of empathy and that sense of understanding in the relationship. Um, so, yeah, I believe that, that is a that's a really powerful way to navigate conflict it's also mm. really challenging to do that yeah absolutely um essentially harmony is something that already exists it's not something that like you know you you we get to tap into harmony it's just there it's like you know when you go out in nature and you just feel mm-hmm. chilled Nature is already yeah. in harmony. It's in, in, in symbiosis with each other, with with everything, sorry. So, like, when you can create that symbiosis in your relationship and, and, and tap into that harmony, it's like using these sort of tools, 
and and this like level of emotional awareness within yourself and then attunement with your partner Mm. yeah I love the way you put that and like it's only going to create a stronger bond when you can both show up for each other like that and have these conversations because like as you said you can't avoid conflict it's going to come up in relationships um so being able to navigate that in a way to create a stronger bond is you know so so important and um I love the part you said about the like the listening to because like so often people forget that it's you know how how you perceive something then obviously how you're trying to convey it but then how it actually lands Mm -hmm. and you just think it's I guess how you're thinking and it stays like that's how it's coming across but obviously that that's not how it happens and I've seen it happen so many times in relationships or like with clients too Mm. like they're thinking one thing saying another thing and it's being perceived another way so that paraphrasing is so important like as you said to make sure it's like you know coming full circle the it's being interpreted in the right way um Mm. and even outside of romantic relationships even like the podcasts and stuff like I'll say things and how I think I want it to be perceived and then somebody comes at me like where did you pull that from (laughs) yeah yeah definitely I mean like this is stuff these are tools that are just relevant for any relationship it's not just your intimate romantic ones you can use these tools with your family with your friends with your colleagues with your teachers anybody I would love to know though what is something that is orgasmic to you oh my god that's such a great question something that's orgasmic to me is authenticity like being so present and so embodied and so open to what feels true and alive and meeting that moment with that like that oh it's so yummy it's so yummy like Mm I was on a date the other day and I you know was just talking to this guy and it just flowed so effortlessly and there were moments where I was like you know we were just bouncing off each other and it was just so fun and playful um and I guess that like his presence and his authenticity and how he was feeling in each and every moment it just like that's orgasmic to me meeting people who are so radically expressed and fearlessly expressed you know there there's people that I know in the queer community who are just so fucking outrageous about their expression and they're so eccentric and so yeah just real that turns me on mm-hmm. I love that that's honestly probably one of the best answers I've had um I'd, yeah I'd love the because there's no better feeling than one when you feel like you're showing up as your true authentic self Mm. and when you can be that around other people as well but then also when that's like being reciprocated and you're in that that I guess that bubble of authenticity like if I was to put it in a word like in one sentence Mm -hmm. it's the freedom that we feel when we're feeling safe to be authentic that's what's always that's what's that's what is orgasmic freedom Mm -hmm. to be ourselves Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that answer so much. Um, So I would love to know where can my listeners, the Shaggers, find you, (laughs) your content, your work, your coaching, everything. So uh, Samantha underscore wondering love on Instagram is the best way to find me. 
I have just started a subscription service. So I'll be sharing more exclusive content on Insta um, with memberships and like monthly coaching calls. So people who are part of the membership can come on a group coaching call on Zoom and we can unpack and hot seat and have really deep conversations and there'll be themes and topics and lessons and teachings. And like, it's really unheard of to be offering that at the subscription service. So there's that, (laughs) but then also there's so much free content on my social media, you know, like years and years and years of, of content that people tend to just like scroll through and find and like, and send to me. And they're like, Oh my God, I resonated with this. Um, or you can email me on Samantha at wanderinglove.com.au. Amazing. I'll put everything in the show notes as well, but thank you so much for coming on and talking about relationships with me. Um, yeah, honestly, I could talk about them all day. Um, and there's so many deep dives we could honestly do, even the topics that we did today. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. Really appreciated this conversation a lot. <laughs>